who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that supporting your health can be as easy as taking two capsules a day? Each daily dose of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is formulated with 24 scientifically studied probiotic strains that support gut, skin, and heart health, helping you start the new year off right. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code Spotify25 to get 25% off your first month. Realm presents Dark Heights, Episode 5. Kevin. Something strange is going on at the Wellness Center. It's not a normal place. Not at all. For starters, there's the sinister British spelling of the word center. But something else is happening. Something beyond the everyday oddities you get accustomed to if you spend some time here, which, if you do, means you're not so normal yourself. For example, I go to the center four times a week. Twice for my transcendental meditation class, twice for therapy. That's right, there's actually an array of legitimate doctors and psychiatrists that coexist here alongside the Eastern, holistic, alternative, and straight-up bonkers health practitioners that comprise the whole of the wellness center. And I can say bonkers with some love. I've tried a lot of things to manage my depression. I should capitalize that. Depression, the big D. Flanked by its small D minions, my low-grade disorders, anxiety, of course, and there's a brief catalog of compulsions that come and go as they please through my head. I've run through the available roster of treatments, both traditional and esoteric, most of it useless for me, until I hit on my current mixtape of meditation and psychiatry, which works. Or it mostly works. Or it works for now. The disorders are what I inherited from my father, who had an OCD army of them, was more or less ruled by them until he died. The depression, well, in a way I got that from him too. At least I've been diagnosed with it since he killed himself when I was 15. 
The wellness center occupies a surprisingly large complex right at the base of Park Heights, where Beach Boulevard terminates at the extreme western end of Sunset Boulevard. I'm not sure if the center is actually still in the municipality of Park Heights or is technically in the sprawl of LA or Santa Monica or whatever. There's a concrete wall around the grounds and there's a gatehouse. Both are neglected, disused. The gatehouse has a lifted barricade that looks like it will never swing down again and blacked out windows, behind which someone might have been watching decades ago. Here and there, rebar juts out from the low cement wall like exposed bone. And there's graffiti over a lot of it. I think I saw a class of 77 tag once when I was walking around out there, smoking a cigarette. The whole place used to be a movie studio lot a long time ago. My history of it isn't great. I think this was in the silent film era. A producer and millionaire, Sangster Quince, built up the grounds. Yes, I remember now. It was called Quenceland. There are some photos of it in a display case by the front reception desk. Then Sangster Quince disappeared or something, his empire fell apart, and the buildings remained derelict for a few decades until the California Department of Public Health bought it and converted it into some kind of asylum. Yeah, creepy, I know. Which didn't last that long either. I heard there were deaths and abuses, though who knows what's urban myth and what's not. Then the private holistic health consortium that now runs the wellness center bought the place. And the weird practices moved in. And that's where we are now. Why did I start to realize that something troubling was occurring at the center? It was because of Tessa's mom, Barbara. I saw her going out the door at the back of D-Wing. That's the main building across from the parking lot, where the doctor's offices and x-ray rooms and blood labs are situated. And out of curiosity, I followed her to the door and watched her through the window in it. She hurried across the strip of brown and yellow dead grass that separates D-Wing from a long, single-story outlying building I had never been inside or even thought much about. Right before she entered that long, low building, she turned and glanced around furtively, as if she was hoping no one was watching. Though, in fact, I was watching. At that moment, I didn't particularly care. I had just come out of an appointment with Dr. Carey, my psychiatrist. I was in a peculiar headspace of my own. It was just chance. Tessa's mom went right past me without really seeing me, opened the back door and slipped through it and went out to the other building. A few weeks later, I was at the reception desk, talking to Nazreen about my appointment schedule with Dr. Carey. Nazreen is the well-loved main receptionist at the wellness center. She uncomplainingly does the work of three or four people. I think they're always trying to hire additional receptionists and they never work out and it kind of seems like Nasreen has always been there and always will be. She's a master of the art of putting you in your place with a sweetness that makes you thank her for the verbal slap in the face. Love your hijab today, I said to her. She was wearing a sky blue headscarf with a pattern of iridescent butterflies that frankly hurt the eyes to look at. Instead of fake flattery, she said, you could just tell me what you need. Not looking up from her desktop PC, where I'll bet there were multiple open files on which she had to complete a few hours' work in the next ten minutes. Right, I said. You're right. I do need to make a change to next week's Friday with Dr. Carey. She sighed, but looked up at me with a worn, wan smile that still had warmth in it. 
Let me guess. You've got a show that night. This was almost always my reason to change appointments. I do the sound for the band White Mask, and yes, they had a show at Culture, a new venue in Silver Lake. Yeah, I said. I gotta be out at the club in the afternoon to check the levels, but I could do a morning appointment, no problem. It was then that someone else who worked at the wellness center, I don't know her name, an older lady who sometimes fills in for Nasreen at reception, appeared next to me, clutching a yellow legal-sized piece of carbon copy, which she slammed down on the reception desk, then whirled away and went at full speed back down the hall from where she had materialized. Nasreen looked at the carbon copy as if it was a poisonous spider. What's that? I said. Nasreen's scowl was profound. It's another request from 101 Wing. Where's 101 Wing? Nasreen gestured vaguely to her right. Over there. It's the building across the dead grass. I recalled that I had seen Tess's mom more or less sneaking over to that building. What do they want? There's a men's health group that uses the gym in 101 Wing, Nasreen said, for drumming sessions and tribal dances and that kind of thing. But the Circle keeps requesting that we relocate the men's group into the gym in the youth wing. And management keeps telling them no, and the Circle keeps on refiling the request. Sounds annoying. What's the Circle? They've pretty much taken over the 101 wing, except for this feud with the men's group. But what is it, the Circle? Nasreen looked up again from the screen of her computer. I don't know, actually. I assume it's some healing or recovery group. On Tuesdays, my appointments with Dr. Carey end about an hour before my meditation classes begin, giving me some time to kill. Usually I walk around the wellness center complex, sometimes lighting up a forbidden cigarette behind one of the buildings, or out where the crumbling wall continues to lose its war against encroaching weeds the size of small trees. Maybe I was bored. I found myself around the back of the 101 wing building. I must have been thinking of my conversation with Nasreen as I went to the door that I'd seen Tess's mom going into. I pulled on the handles. It was locked. I looked through the window in the door. It was lined with the crisscrossing wire mesh you find on the windows and the doors of all institutions, schools, hospitals, police stations, to reinforce an idea of security or privacy. All I could see through this window was a dimly lit, empty hallway inside the building. Closed doors staggered down either side of it. I went around to the front of the building. The doors here were the same as all the front entrances in the center complex. A set of double doors with a push bar set at the height of your elbows. I pushed on the door to the right, but the bar didn't budge. Then I saw that there was a piece of white paper taped up to the glass inside the left-hand door. On the paper, in thick black sharpie, someone had drawn a perfectly round letter O in what looked like the exact center of the paper. O. The circle. Hi, a voice said from behind me. I'll admit I jumped about three feet in the air. When my heart rate slowed, I turned and saw there was a girl, maybe 11 or 12 years old, standing there looking at me curiously. Her dark hair was dyed with two bright blue streaks in it, running from either temple back into a blue-black ponytail. Um, hello, I said. She laughed a little. I think I scared you, 
sorry. That's okay. Are you going in? She asked. Maybe, I said. Oh, she said. I was wondering because it doesn't look like you're ready. She went past me suddenly and pushed on the bar on the left side door, which opened. She went into the gap between the edge of the door and its frame, then turned to regard me. She bit her lip. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not ready yet. What are you talking about? For the circle. I'm not ready for it. Probably not. In what way would I not be ready for the circle? She laughed, covering her mouth with one hand as if I had told an incredibly inappropriate joke. Exactly, she said after recovering from her giggles. That's exactly what I mean. Okay, I'm going to lock this behind me now. She disappeared into the building and the door clicked shut behind her. I stood outside for a moment or two. I was experiencing a powerfully uncanny feeling that it was better to walk away from this. Forget about 101 wing altogether, just leave it alone. I tried the door. It was locked. I asked Dr. Carrie about the circle at my next appointment with her, but she didn't know anything about it at all, had never even heard of it. And honestly, I didn't want to talk about it with her in case she decided I was lapsing into paranoid schizophrenia or something. Though it might have made a welcome break from us talking about France, and why I was in denial about being in love with France, and did I love him as a friend, or did I want him body and soul, I don't know. Laughable. That someone like me, flabby, depressed, at university dropout, socially flatlined, awkward in every one of life's situations, could have feelings for someone like France. I was joking about the paranoid schizophrenia. However, I do have my obsessions. Well, technically, like I said before, there are compulsions. All of them tied into me not being able to cope with my anxiety, so I'm told. One of them has really defined me. Defined my life. Melomania. Even the word itself is musical. I go through weeks where the only thing I do, the only thing I want to do, is listen to music. And I listen to music at the exclusion of everything else, including sleeping and eating, so it's not all that healthy for me. In fact, when I was at LMU, I had a bad case of it, and I couldn't go to any classes for a few weeks, thus the dropping out. The upside of melomania is that I've been able to channel the side-effect heavy focus on music into the beginnings of some kind of career. Working with France and his band, White Mask. I've started working with a new dream-pop duo, Trist. They're fine-tuning some songs and we're going to record their first album soon. That's melomania, which I've got some kind of handle on. Or, I tell myself I do. When I was younger... I really struggled with two other compulsions that made things difficult for me. Haptomania, needing to be touched. The only thing I could think about until it actually happened was physical contact with another person. If someone reached out and put their hand on my arm, it was blissful. Tests would do this for me a lot. But until that happened, I would have to bump into people, brush past them, fall against them. 
And then there was the worst one. Philomatomania. It hit me in between the rounds of haptomania. I don't even want to talk about what it is. It's so ridiculous. But I suffered from it. It was real. Philomatomania. The compulsion to kiss. It was at its worst during a conversation. I would be talking to someone, anyone, and then I could no longer follow what was being said because it was suddenly a desperate thing for me not to lose control and zoom in at them, attempting to make out with them. <laughs> Even I can see the humor in it now. But it wasn't funny at all when I was in junior high and high school. No, it wasn't. It's why transcendental meditation has worked so well for me. There's a freedom from being controlled by my thoughts that I only ever feel when I can achieve that state through focus, through meditation. That deeper trance state where there's nothing at all. Where I'm not there. It's heaven. I found that I couldn't ignore the circle. I'm not sure if I wanted to see what was inside that building across the dead grass, or if I felt the not-rightness of it all, the something-wrong itch between the shoulder blades that wouldn't go away. I'm not usually curious. I keep to myself. My fleet of bizarre behaviors leads me to spend a lot of time in my bed, to be honest, with headphones on and the sound turned way, way up. What was going on in that building? What was the circle? I had to know. I planned my next approach to the back door of 101 Wing for the next spare hour that fell between Dr. Carey and the meditation. I figured it was usual for me to be out wandering the grounds of the center, at least I'd been doing it for months now and no one had bothered me about it. I wasn't sure if there were cameras outside the buildings, nothing obvious anyway, but I had to dismiss that thought. Not sure who would be watching me on camera anyway. There was a security guard at the front reception on some days, but he only ever seemed to leave his chair to go get Subway at noon. Tessa's mom was, by this point, sneaking into 101 Wing pretty regularly. The back door that she used was locked before she used it, I checked, and locked afterward, which meant that someone inside was unlocking it at just the right time for her to have access. I would follow her. I'd put my foot in the door behind her, silently, Slip in after her, see what there was to see. Except it didn't happen like that at all. As I left Dr. Carey's office, intending to shadow Tessa's mom from one building to the next, or no, I thought of something better. I would get out across the dead grass first, before she did, hide around the corner of the side of the 101 wing, and wait for her. I quite literally ran right into Dr. Carey's next appointment. He was walking up the hall, talking on his phone, and he didn't see me at all until we collided. Sorry, I said, as he said. Hey, watch it. Did I know him? He looked like someone else. He ended his phone call without a word and said, You're Kevin Cho. I guess I am, I said reluctantly. When he smiled, I knew who it was. The same lopsided, smug, know-it-all, smirking grin. It was almost shocking how much they looked like each other. He held out his hand. I'm Will Severand. You got drunk with my sister Lynna the other night. We shook hands. 
Is she still hungover? I said. Will laughed. Probably. Well, I should get going, I said in a rush. Hold on a second. I wanted to ask you something. I don't really have time at the moment. I got past him and was making my way toward the back of D-Wing. About Tess. I stopped and turned back. He said, Lena told me you're good friends with her. Sure, I shrugged. Will looked down at the floor for a split second. I think he was genuinely shy, gathering up some courage. Ask away, I said. Well, she seems great. Will swallowed, tried different words. She's amazing. I mean, wow. I was just wondering if she was single. I shrugged. Yeah, I think so. Okay, Will nodded. Okay, great. Are you headed in to see Dr. Carey? I asked. What? Dr. Carey, that's her office. Oh no, not like that. Will realized at once that I had just come out of her office. He was quick. She's not my doctor. I mean, if I had a doctor. No, she's on the planning committee for the Wellness Center's fundraising gala, which is at my house. And I have to get her to sign something. I don't even know what it is. It's really stupid that I have to do this, actually. Will gazed around at the institutional pale green-brown colors of the walls of the center. I've never been in here before. It's kind of... Unnerving. You get used to it, I said. I guess. I do have to get going, though, I said. Of course. Nice to meet you, Kevin, he said courteously. You too. I moved as quickly as I could to the back door of D-Wing. Damn, I thought. No sign of Tessa's mom. She had probably already gone into 101 Wing in the time I'd wasted talking to Will Severin. Just in case I hadn't missed her, I went over to 101 Wing myself and looked in through the window in the locked door. This time, the hallway inside the building was full of people. I saw Tessa's mom there among the others, all of them lined up and waiting outside one of the doors down the hall. As I watched, the door opened and one person went in, alone, and the queue of people shuffled forward. Then, I saw Charlie Mill. He was there in the lineup with his aunt. His hands were resting on her shoulders. It looked like he was comforting her. The front of his luchador mask, built holes for his eyes, turned slowly toward me. He knew I was there at the window, watching. He shook his head, deliberately, decisively, so that I would understand. Get away from here. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every Factor meal is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, it's less expensive than takeout, which honestly was my go-to when I just couldn't or didn't have time to cook a proper meal. So whether you're hoping to cut down on spending, being more intentional with your meals, or just want to save time, Factor can help you get after your goals. Besides their meals, which I have to say, everyone has been delicious, they also have more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled and feeling good all day, like breakfast and midday bites. 
They've even got fresh pressed juices and protein shakes, and I've really enjoyed their variety pack of wellness shots. I love anything with ginger and cayenne. Factor is also flexible with their plans, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Head to factormeals.com slash darkheights50 and use code darkheights50 to get 50% off. That's code darkheights50 at factormeals.com slash darkheights50 to get 50% off. Hey, it's Mae Whitman, and I play Frankie in the new Realm podcast, The Sisters. The Sisters is about a museum curator of medical oddities who investigates the origins of a mutated skeleton with two layers of bones. Soon, she uncovers an extraordinary mystery that connects her present with one family's tragic past in hauntingly dangerous ways. Listen to The Sisters wherever you get your podcasts. Before I was friends with Tess, I was friends with Charlie Mill. My mom never really approved of our friendship, but she tolerated it, mostly, I think because she felt sorry for him. I overheard her talking to my dad once, they were in the kitchen and I was playing video games on the TV in the living room, about Charlie Mill, about his family, his aunt and uncle, how she didn't want me going over to their house. We were freshmen at Palisades Charter High, and we were Parkies, Charlie Mill and I, and Tess and a few others. Parkies were the lowest caste in a complex descending order of social hierarchy that started somewhere at the top with sons and daughters of famous people and trickled down through wealth, athletics, attractiveness, coolness, into the abject lack of all of these things, then into us, at the bottom, all of us from Park Heights. Being a parkie defeated all those other categories. For sure, Tess could have checked a lot of the boxes I just mentioned, except for the fact that she was one of us. Though she wasn't. Not really. She was apart. This was before we spent all our time together, before my father died, before Charlie Mel stopped coming to school. All I knew about Tess at that time was that she took acting classes at the Arts Nexus in Park Heights, and sometimes at places in L.A. Halfway through sophomore year, I saw her in a production of Twelfth Night that the drama kids put on. She was fantastic. Even though I was only 14, I had an after-school job that my mom had arranged for me with Gary Cooper at the Evergreen Motel, which was down the street from our house. I did a lot of boring things for the motel, including being a bellhop if I was there and guests were checking in. I unloaded boxes from delivery vans, I kept the fireplaces in the rooms clean and the sticks of wood well-stocked in their ironwood racks. I think Gary Cooper just created things for me to do and then paid me. Probably out of fear of my mom, she has a way of getting what she wants without compromise. It was a day at school I wanted badly to forget about. Charlie Mill and I biked back to Park Heights. Me on my mountain bike and Charlie Mill and his kid's BMX, which he refused to give up. We didn't go right home. I had a key to the rooms in the motel, and sometimes we slipped into one of them, if one of them was unoccupied, which was pretty much a guarantee. It was easy to do. Gary Cooper rarely left his office, and his wife rarely left their house except to clean the rooms and change the linens. 
Mrs. Cooper didn't really care what I did as long as I stayed out of her way. We had an old PlayStation stashed in the woods outside the motel, wrapped in a few layers of garbage bags, and we collected it before going into the room. Snacks were essential. Sometimes we had bags of chips or licorice. Sometimes we had super big gulps. On this day, we had junior mints. We plugged the console into the out-of-date TV, pressed the start button, and the rest of the world receded for a time. For both of us, I think, having a room to ourselves was like having a fort in the trees or an attic space in a house. It was ours. It was great. We played through Final Fantasy VII so many times I could quote whole lines of dialogue from the game. Charlie Mill and I didn't talk about what had happened at school. I was on the floor next to the PlayStation, and he was stretched out on the bed, scratching with a pencil in his book of graph paper where he made maps. He never stopped drawing maps of imaginary places. I thought it might have been a compulsion for him, like my needing to be touched, but we didn't talk about the things we did or how we were weird or why. What had happened at school had happened after gym class, in the locker room. Typical, but there you go, sometimes things happen exactly the way you expect them to. Some of the guys, I won't bother to say their names, always called me Choke. Hey Choke, they might say. I heard your dad crashed his car again, fucking Chinese drivers. Hey Choke, how many GIs did your dad kill in Nam? You know what's weird? After my dad died, all their talk turned toward my mom. Hey, Choke, how much is your mom going for these days? I heard she love you long time. $15, me so horny, tubu coop. Such asshats. Well, the inevitable finally happened. The head dickwad of the crew that always called me Choke decided to push me around a little. It was something that felt like a ritual, like his heart wasn't in it, but he had to do it, and I just had to take it, and soon it would be over, and then we both forget it ever happened. Except that, right in the middle of it, right after he had placed his hand on my chest and shoved me back into the lockers, as soon as he took the hand away, I kissed him. So now I had bruises all over my stomach and back and abdomen from being pummeled. There were tears in my eyes. I was riding a chocobo through North Coral on the TV in the hotel room as the PlayStation whirred at my feet, the controller in my hands. Charlie Mills showed me the map of Gaia, the world of Final Fantasy VII, that he had just finished drafting. It looked awesome. We heard his uncle's voice outside the room. Where is he? In here? Then the door flew open. Charlie Mill and I didn't talk about it, but when he was little, his mom had been a single parent and had been into drugs, or so I'd pieced together from what I had heard. And then she was suddenly gone, and she left him to her own mom and dad, who were old and who didn't want him, so his mom's sister took custody, Charlie Mill's aunt. She was a nervous lady who had married young, and it hadn't gone well. Her husband lost his job early on and never got another one. My mom had said he was probably an alcoholic, and finally I was not allowed to go there. Though the few times I had been over, I hadn't even seen him. And Charlie Mills' aunt was nice, I thought, and she'd made us sandwiches. 
Charlie's uncle stood in the doorway. He looked at us. His red face was damp with sweat. I knew it, he said softly. Then he came into the room and hit Charlie across the face with the back of his hand. Gary Cooper was right behind him in the doorway. Terry, Jesus, he said to Charlie's uncle. What are you doing? Did you know your little Chinaman worker was a ladyboy? He snarled back at Gary Cooper. Come on, you, he barked at Charlie. With one hand clamped on his arm, he hauled Charlie off the bed. It took a few steps before Charlie found his footing. His shoes scuffed the rug as his feet tripped. His arm and his uncle's grip pulled straight out at a bad angle. Charlie made little sounds, little whimpers of pain. And they were gone. Gary Cooper stood there, blinking, speechless. Charlie's book of graph paper had fallen off the bed and lay open on the floor next to me, where I still sat with a PlayStation controller in one hand. I looked into the book. He had drawn a map of one of his fantasy worlds, a world that didn't exist, something he'd made up out of nothing. I saw that he had written, beneath the drawing of a castle, a few words. Distant kingdom. At peace, at last, after many years of bloodshed, violence, and suffering. You're listening to Dark Heights by C.D. Miller, starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Heart Stephen King, Heart Chuck Palahniuk, Infected blends science fiction and horror into a pulpy masterpiece of action, terror, and suspense. James Rollins, New York Times bestselling author of The Judas Strain and Black Order. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Powerfully written, an unforgettable central character. Dallas Morning News. Infected is one hell of an exhilarating ride. Joe R. Lansdale, World Horror Convention grand Grandmaster and author of Bubba Hotep and Hap and Leonard. All 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror, are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Sigler is the Richard Matheson of the 21st century. Infected is a flawless thinking person's thriller. Jonathan Mayberry, Bram Stoker award-winning author of B-Wars and the Joe Ledger series. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller. It is produced by Haley Wagreich and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, and editing by Amanda Rose Smith. Original music by Chris Miller.